Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the uh, long-awaited bi-week edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. I am here with someone who is evidently not Marie McCormick. <laughs> that being uh, Rocco Radio's Jamie Nye, who uh, hosts along with Drew Remenda the, the, the Green Zone Daily on uh, CKOM and CJME Radio, and uh, is generally a terrific person, despite the fact he cheers for the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Jamie, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, well, uh, th- we're not going to talk about John Gruden, are we? <laughs> as long as we don't talk about Vic Fangio and the, and the way the Broncos are playing after turning 3-0 and into 3-2. and So yes. uh, if we declare an NFL truce, I think we can have a productive session here. Perfect. Um, I have to introduce our uh, our co-host, uh, Candy. Can you see her okay there? Isn't she cute? That is she a cute dog, Rob. That is a very cute dog. The official dog of the Ryder Rumblings video podcast, so... We've been getting some heat in the press box from various media members who are sick of all the uh, pictures I post of her on social media, but uh, um, it could be worse. I could be posting pictures of myself on social media, and that would be totally (laughs) (laughs) better the dog than me. Um, The Rough Riders season has kind of gone to the dogs. How's that for a segue? Uh, After such an impressive start, well, if you're paying – this attention of the podcast this far into it, despite my canine, canine chatter, you're obviously a, an ardent fan of the Rough Riders or very keen observer. Um, what has, I wouldn't say the wheels have fallen off, but there's certainly uh, the tires need some inflating. What has changed with this football team, Jamie? Well, I, I think you go back to even the Winnipeg games where they were exposed for the, a lot of their flaws. And uh, what we've seen, like re, re, remember the games we've watched where they've won since then, they took on what seemed to be a pretty uninspired Toronto team, and they remember they darn near lost the BC Lions if it wasn't for Cody Fajardo's brilliance in the fourth quarter. So this team is that close to being one and five in their last six games. And when we said they were exposed for Winnipeg, is the talent level I think is starting to grow. Like you're starting to see the rest of the league get better. And I think Craig Dickinson said it after the game. He still thinks this is a good team, but everybody around them is improving and getting better and getting stronger, and they've stayed flat. So that is the big problem going forward with this team is can they find their next gear? Because if they can't, well, are we looking at them beating Calgary in Calgary? That seems now unlikely if they don't find a next gear after this bye week. Thankfully for them, they have the Elks coming up in a couple of weeks to to help them, but all of a sudden – I think what was ailing them early, they were getting by and they were getting wins. Now the other teams are taking advantage of their flaws. It seemed to me early that the Rough Riders, with their quick passing attack, could scheme their way around uh, the fact that the offensive line isn't exactly a fortress. And I think it was fortuitous scheduling earlier that enabled the Rough Riders to play teams where they really wouldn't get burned by doing that. But They've figured out, other teams have figured out the Rough Riders, and, and Calgary was, I think, in some ways the worst team for the Rough Riders to play, or one of the worst teams for the for the Rough Riders to play, considering the makeup of their roster, and that Calgary can rush the passer with four, or even three, as they demonstrated on Saturday. And as a result, they can drop eight or nine people back into coverage and still get pressure on the passer. And uh, if you're in that situation, if you don't have to blitz to get to Cody Fajardo, there's just... There's there's way more defensive backs and way more coverage people than there are receivers, and hence the offensive struggles. Calgary, you know, Winnipeg, I think, exposed the Rough Riders, and I think Calgary did to a different, uh, perhaps in a different way. Would you agree? Yeah, that's that's where I'm I'm looking at this Rough Rider team is trying to find they have to find something else in the offense because even their short passing game now teams know how to defend it. Right, you, you can drop guys 10, 15 yards and then rally to the football. So if uh, Kyran Moore gets the ball two yards behind the line of scrimmage, he's got two blockers to face four guys who are already rallying towards him. And it's before, I think, they're maybe catching some teams by surprise, but not anymore. And, and you have to hit the long ball. Like you, you need to have defenses respected because right now they are not. 
and there's no reason to. Like, I, I think it was Hunchak, Colton Hunchak had a, the longest, if he was the Riders quarterback, he would have had a longer completion in the game than Cody Fajardo. <laughs> because, and that was 20-some yards downfield. That's, nobody's going to respect you if you're not throwing it deep and can't complete it deep. And this goes back to what Cody said after the Calgary game, which he apologized. But there was a whole lot of honesty in those comments from Cody Fajardo. And nothing changed in the next game against Calgary. So will Duke Williams be the be-all and end-all? Will he change everything? Shaq Evans is coming back. You'd hope so, but how long does it take Duke Williams to get really incorporated, incorporated, really gel with Cody Fajardo? And Cody's got to hit the passes. Again, he just kind of threw it to the wrong shoulder a little bit on Kyran Moore, overthrew another guy. You need those passes to be precise or in a spot where a guy like Braden Lenius, unfortunately, his heel hit out of bounds, can go up and get the football. I wonder, too, if, I mean, it's nice to get Duke Williams and they're going to have Shaq Evans back perhaps before the end of the month. But if you can't protect the passer, does it really matter? You could have DeAndre Hopkins out there. It probably wouldn't do any good. Uh, if, if Cody's not going to hit the open receivers, it's not going to do any good. I I almost wonder if uh, if that's it's hey it's you're much you're a much better team if you have Williams and Evans in their lineup but I don't think they by themselves address what ails this Rough Rider offense. Yeah, and so yeah, don't leave the offensive line out of it either. There's three things that make a deep ball go: it's the quarterback, it's the receiver, but the offensive line have to give the quarterback time. And I'm really worried, Rob, and I don't know about you, but I'm really worried about Cody's confidence in all the phases, even himself. Like when he was talking after the Calgary game about he doesn't even want to throw the long ball, like it, and it seems that way, right? When it's there, he's, he's almost hesitating on, should I throw it? Should I not? And that hesitation, he's got no time to hesitate with this offensive line. And that's where I saw a confident quarterback in 2019 because people say, oh, Cody can't hit the long ball. Well, in 2019, he was the best quarterback uh, for deep passes. But look at that offensive line with Dakota Shepley and Brendan LaPat, like uh, Thaddeus Coleman, Taryn Vaughn uh, as well was, was healthy. So he had those guys around him where I think he was confident. He just sat back and he'd throw it deep. Now I, I look at a quarterback because the offensive line, the receivers aren't there. There's got to be miscommunication happening. This is a very young receiving core. And has he truly gelled with Jason Moss? Um, all these things we we talked about in the preseason, right, Rob? Which was, will he gel with Jason? Will the offensive line hold up? Is the receiving core good enough? It's starting to be, it got him through the first couple of weeks of the season. But uh, now it is clear to me that okay yeah there's reason we had reason for concern because now all those things the other teams are exposed exposing and will continue to if those things don't improve how is the nature of this offense really that much different than the offense in 2018 that that choreographed by Stephen McAdoo the people were absolutely despising uh it's it's hitch screens and maybe maybe there's not as many uh you know shotgun handoffs and short yardage situations but aside from that it's uh, Stephen McAdoo absorbed a lot of heat as a result of the nature of the offense in 2018 I also look at that offense in 2018 though and I think well suddenly they didn't have Bakari Grant suddenly uh Neiman Roosevelt was a year older and not as dangerous and they there wasn't the Duran Carter uh, explosions that they were able to get in 2017. They didn't have the personnel, and the scheme was kind of was so tiresome to watch. Whereas in 2017, they led the league in touchdown passes. In 2019, uh, Cody Fajardo had a breakout year. With in, in 2017 and 2019, Stephen McAdoo was the offensive coordinator. So he was that. It was it was the offensive coordinator in 2018 as well. But it was jury to watch. It's jury to jury to watch now under Jason Moss. Is it? simply a matter of the personnel not giving the offensive coordinator really many alternatives except to do what what he's doing. Well, that's what it sounded like when Jason Moss talked last week, which was the dink and dunk offense. Um, and I think it was I think it was Britton Gray, shout out to my colleague Britton, who asked the question about the dink and dunk offense. And he said, well, that's, 
that's what we are. We, we haven't hid that fact. So should Ryder Nation really be surprised that that's all we're getting when even the offensive coordinators say that's what we're doing? Whereas when he was in Edmondson with Trevor Harris and Mike Riley before him, when he replaced Chris Jones's regime, you saw the deep ball and the big play offense. So I'm looking at an offensive coordinator who likely is pushing his offense to where around his talent. And if the talent level isn't getting deep and going deep, well, he's got to figure out a game plan that works. And I'm just looking this offense needs, I think, a little more William Powell to really pound the ball, pound the ball, and give Cody some time to do some play action to slow down the pass rush. Because right now it just seems like when you're running the ball with William Powell seven, eight times a game, the defense knows what's coming. You're throwing the ball, and if you can't run the ball, we're coming. And we can come with three or four. Or five or six. It doesn't matter. We're going to get pressure on the quarterback. And it's starting to look like the uh, the opponents almost. I don't know if you noticed, Rob, the Stampeders defensive line was like a yard and a half to two yards off the ball. And it just seems like that was almost disrespectful on, well, we're going to get there. We're, we're going to take some time and maybe get catch your offensive lineman a little more flat-footed than lining right up a yard off the ball. So, there's, there's a lot of things this offense needs to adjust to, and maybe Duke Williams and Shaq Evans will allow the deep ball to be there for Cody because everybody's coming up and pressuring that, the short passing game. And I'm looking at the schedule it's right beside me. In Calgary, in Montreal, in Hamilton is three of the last five games. Those are solid defenses. Uh, so that's going to be tough to make any ground in the West Division. Yeah, you know, you wonder, you know, can they can they scheme around the lack of protection? Can they, you know, go with a, you know, double tight ends, or can they keep the keep the backs in? But then you run into a situation like the Rough Riders did on that last play in Calgary when when Cody Fajardo's pass for Ricardo Lewis was intercepted, where they had four receivers against eight defensive backs. So if you try to build an extra protection, they're just redu- reducing the targets, and pretty much the simple math is that everybody is double covered. So then what what are you going to do? Then I think okay. Maybe the uh, answer is just, you know, the one thing they can do, uh, I think, effectively is when one, I think the thing that might scare opponents the most is not William Powell, is not any of the Rough Rider receivers, it's Cody Pajardo running. And if that becomes a situation where he's doing it, uh, not necessarily to escape pressure, but just um, by necessity and as part of the offensive game plan, We've seen some of the hits Cody Fajardo has taken in recent weeks. Uh, is that going to ultimately bring down the, the ship because he's just going to get hurt? I think that Cody Fajardo running might be their biggest weapon right now, but it also might be their biggest biggest risk. Yeah, I, I, and I, I almost think that is it going to a more collegiate-style offense where you do cut the field in half, but at least if Cody's rolling out of the pocket and he's – being able to cut the field in half, he's at least a threat to run or throw. Because, hey, let's be honest, one of the strengths of Cody Fajardo is improvisation. <laughs> Getting outside the pocket, like the play to Braden Lenny, is that was all him buying time and making a heck of a throw to the corner of the end zone that unfortunately was that close to working out for the Rough Riders on a touchdown. So is that a threat? Uh, I think that is, I think you're right, Rob, that might be the greatest threat of this rider offense is Cody Fajardo using his feet not only to run the ball and get yardage but just buying extra time for him to have a breakdown in the secondary and have a guy maybe come open deep or someone come open across the middle because the more time defenders have to you know protect or guard against the receivers well the more time that protection is going to in a secondary is going to collapse and someone's going to come open so I'm very intrigued after a bye week of Jason Moss and Craig Dickinson assessing where they go, what this offense looks like, because adjustments have to be made. You know, I look at Cody Fajardo, and there's been some talk, you know, what what is wrong with Cody Fajardo? He's not the same quarterback as he was in 2019. And, yeah, he's missing some throws that I think he would have made in 2019, but I think he had more reason to be confident that those throws would be, would be caught in 2019. 
I think he's, he's, he's absorbing an undue amount of criticism. Um, this is someone who just doesn't have the supporting cast around him that he did in 2019. And I think that is probably the largest reason why he's not, he hasn't been affected, why the offense hasn't been affected. Yeah, there's a couple of throws that he should have made to Kyran Moore, probably three that would have produced long gains or touchdowns. There's Keenan LaFrance in the end zone in Calgary. There's William Powell on the corner pattern this past weekend. But I'm not sure that that it's it's a it's a quarterbacking issue. I think I think it's Cody Fajardo had a better offensive line and a better receiving core around him in 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 2019. And as a result, I think there, he was put in a position to succeed much more often than he is now. And my concern now is that uh, maybe you're starting to hear fans grousing about the quarterbacking a little bit more than you would have expected. And is the bloom off the rose? And are 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 people going to run a franchise quarterback out of town again? We've seen it here before, and it, it worries me that there's going to be excessive reaction to uh, to the way he is playing, or in, in the in the uh, opinions of some not playing. Yeah, well, look at look at Zach Kalaros. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're we're getting people going. Well, why did we trade Zach Kalaros if we would have been patient with his concussion problem? Look at what kind of quarterback we had. Well, <laughs> this is the same fan base who had enough of Zach Kalaros get him out of town, you can't rely on him. So Winnipeg has been patient. Luckily, he hasn't been injured. But Zach Kalaros, even at the end of his tenure in Hamilton, they were running him out of Hamilton that he wasn't any good. Well, now he might win back-to-back Grey Cups the way he's playing. So my concern with Cody, I, I still think he is a good quarterback in this league. I think he's lost the one of the top-tier quarterbacks in this league status until he can turn it around. My my concern is we still have a good quarterback like the riders do but where's his confidence mm-hmm. because if you don't have a confidence quarter confident quarterback that that it doesn't matter how good he is it, it's it's going to lose something like look at Trevor Harris who was looked like he was going to throw 5000 yards a season he's lost his job because he's clearly lost confidence in himself the offensive line the receivers the coordinators whatever it is and if Cody can't get out of the spiral, and I see a quarterback who's lacking a little confidence in where he's reading and where he needs to throw the ball. That's just going to snowball until, you know, something goes right and he can get that confidence back. Well, I looked at one play in particular from the uh, game on Saturday, and he actually had decent protection, but he nonetheless escaped the pocket and ran. And he got he got some yards, great. But I look at that and I think there's a quarterback who might have a kind of have a metronome going off in his in his head and thinking okay I've got two seconds maybe three and then I've got a bail and I think in, at least in that situation I think he anticipated pressure that wasn't necessarily there and I don't think there's necessarily a reason for him not to anticipate the pressure uh, I just wonder if if he can perform the way he needs to with that offensive line in front of him even when he does get the protection because do you have to be wary of uh the fact that it just might not be there. And, well, when, and he's Rob, very when, honest about how he doesn't have the confidence right now. Like when, you, when you get hit as often as Cody has and get pressured, you start playing against ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, where you just yeah. they feel like they're there even though they're not. Uh, and that's the that, that's where I'm looking at a not a very confident guy, whether he's not confident in the offensive line himself or the receivers. I think it's a combination of all three. And – that one point in that game when he looked frustrated at the end of the game in Calgary, it started to look like he wasn't even confident in his offensive coordinator. And we've been down that road with Stephen McAdoo in 2019 in the West final when TSN caught him on tape. I hate that play. Bleep. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, okay, uh, why is the coordinator calling a play the quarterback hates in that situation? So that that's where – the disconnect can't be there and it can't be there for very long or is it's going to fester and looking at this schedule, you don't have a lot of time uh, to have that happen and then turn it around. And, you know, Cody Fajardo apologized for what he said after the game in Calgary, but I think the latest game against Calgary pretty much underlined the validity of everything that he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did he say that was wrong? Maybe uh, I think he felt that he'd, throwing some players, some teammates under the bus and aired some things publicly that maybe should have been dealt with privately. But in terms of the substance of what he said, was there a syllable that he uttered that was incorrect? I, I don't see it. No, it was 
completely 100% honest in his eyes. And I'm sure there are receivers in that locker room who could turn around and have their own press conference and say some accurate things about Cody not hitting them and this, that, and the other thing. That would have also been accurate. But you, as Jason Moss said last week, the cardinal sin is you don't air those things in public. Because if the finger-pointing starts, oh, <laughs> Rough Rider fans are in for a not-so-happy fall uh, into winter if that goes overboard. So I think they, they caught it at the right time, and now they have to – they have to win a game. They have to go to Calgary and win because if they lose three straight against the Stampeders and then have three of their final four on the road, man, you even start to question if Edmonton figures their stuff out if there's not a loss coming up against the Elks the way the Riders' season is going. And I I don't want to be the chicken little, the sky is falling, but, you know, the that 3-0 and team that a lot of people went, oh, they're cooking with grease and here we go. They're 5-2, and two, we're going to home playoff game. Well, I think you said earlier is the bloom off the rose. I, if it's not completely off, it's almost there. Well, for for if I look at this team now, with four of the final five games on the road, they're five and four right now. Seven, they've got to win two out of their final five on the road and with a road-heavy schedule to uh, at least have a 500 record. I'm not sure even that a 500 record is assured right now. That's the kind of pit that they put themselves in, and. I think it underlines the importance of going to Calgary and turning some things around quickly. Because uh, if not, it's it could just keep spiraling on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and who knows what happened. Montreal has Ottawa twice still, right? So uh, even the crossover is looking like, is the crossover available at seven wins? It might not be if Montreal beats Ottawa twice. And I, I like if without... Vernon Adams, I've liked Matthew Schiltz in the limited time he's gotten this season. He moved the ball against Hamilton, then he moved it downfield again against Ottawa. So it's not like he's completely incapable of of being a successful quarterback. And I'll be honest, Vernon Adams Jr. hasn't lit me on fire either this season no. at, at the quarterback spot for the Montreal Alouettes. So uh, I see them, if they can get to seven, Hamilton should be able to get to seven. Toronto's already there. Even the crossover conversation, it's like, okay, you you have to – not have to, but winning in Calgary to give you some space against the Stampeders in that final four weeks would be vital. But that's what we said at the start of this stretch, right, Rob? It was mm-hmm. you can't let Calgary off the mat, and they not only let them off the mat, but now Calgary looks like they're getting swagger back in the game at the wrong time for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I posted something on Twitter yesterday, and I thought I, I did so intentionally, and I didn't put it in the context I intended it. Um, I posted, who who would the Rough Riders' most outstanding, who has the Rough Riders' most outstanding player been to this point in the season? And the, the kind of the motive behind that is, if you look at that roster, nobody's dazzled, at least me, to the extent that I think there's an automatic choice there. And that may be, I think, symptomatic of a team that really hasn't dazzled recently. When you can look at an entire roster and say, okay, that's their best player, or he's having a great year. I think that's telling. I think there's a few candidates, but there's nobody knocking, knocking, knocking me. I, I think their most outstanding player might be Brett Lothar. And uh, as opposed to the, if you look at the player who's done his job the best to this point in the season, and yeah, there was that swoon in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the season, but he started off with 10 field goals in a row, then missed five of nine. He's now hit 12. And, uh, uh, but if you look if you look beyond Brett Lothar, who's having a great year on this team? And that might explain why they're suddenly in a position where they're flirting with 500, because there aren't many players having great years. Yeah, unfortunately for Brett, he's not even having a great year. Um, he's had good stretches at the start and now, but in the middle it was, you're getting nervous about the kicker. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you look at the stretches, Cody Fajardo was the top performer of the month in August. And, okay, yeah, it was Cody Fajardo. And then it was like Keon Schaefer-Baker was almost the team's top performer. And I think in the last couple of weeks, it's been Micah Johnson out the middle of the defensive line. But you haven't had, you know, like you're right, if you're looking at all-star caliber, you're going to go, okay, Jonathan Woodard, because he leads the league in sacks, maybe. But even then... He's only come on, he had five sacks of those seven in two weeks. 
and he's got two since. Uh, so yeah. even that slowed down. So man, receiving core, it's, I think Keon Schaefer Baker's been the most impressive, but is he the most valuable player? Mm, I don't know. You, you you hate defaulting to the quarterback, but without Cody doing some things this season, like that game against BC, they're even in a worse spot than they are today, and they're not even in that bad of a spot, but they would be you know, playing catch-up rather than kind of leading the pack for that second spot in the West. Yeah, I look around, I mean, there's a few few other candidates maybe. Um, I think Dion Lacey's had a solid year in the middle. Micah Tights has, has, has played well. There, there were there were some missed tackles on, on Saturday against Calgary. I think Lucius Purifoy's had a good year. Nick Marshall's had a good year. But how many of these players look, look like they're great? And when you look at the 2019 team and how many players had exceptional seasons, and you can just go right down the list. There's a pile of them. Uh, I mean, they had the league leader in quarterback sacks. They had this. They had a thousand-yard rusher in William Powell. They had uh, Shaq Evans with 1,334 yards and an All-Canadian. It's Solomon Alamimian was an All-Star. Derek Moncrief was an All-Star. Uh, Cameron Judge was the most outstanding Canadian in the West Division, etc. You could just rattle off the list of players who were having terrific years. Now you really have to stretch, and there's nobody who knocks just knocks you over the head and says, I'm the best player on the team right now. Yeah. And maybe that explains why they're just not a formidable team right now. Yeah, I think I think right now, I, I tweeted yesterday, it's a three-tier team, it's a, t- a three-tier league, and it's Winnipeg number one, and then there's a tier of six teams in the middle. Uh, BC, Calgary, Saskatchewan, Toronto, Hamilton, and Montreal, and Toronto might be jumping up closer to the top tier after their big win against the Tiger Cats on Thanksgiving Monday. And then you have Ottawa and Edmonton. So uh, I think the Riders have come down to middle-of-the-pack team. I think that was an accurate assessment going into the season where they likely were, and I think they're, they're now who they – you are what your record says you are, and I think five and four is a very accurate assessment of this Rough Riders team. Uh, but without improvement, it – they might be sliding below that middle tier, uh, but they have a week to rest. They have a week to, as Craig Dickinson said, kind of get away from football a little bit. But the coaches, I doubt, will be getting away from football a little bit because they have to they have to find a new game plan on offense. Uh, they have to surprise some people coming out of this bye week because it seems like everybody knows what they what they're going to do and is playing them that way. And once everybody figures out who you are and you can't adjust to that, you know, we, we've seen many teams have that real quick peak and then just flatten out because that's that was their top year. And we're going to find out, Rob, do they have another year? I don't know if they do. Maybe it's Duke Williams and Shaq Evans and that they find it there. But right now, without the you pinpoint to the offensive line, I don't know. But on the flip side, like shout out to Jason Shivers in the defense. I think out of the phases of the the team, I think that defense still is able to play with the best in the league. And um, I know they allowed over 400 yards, but they didn't break. They kept the Stampeders out of the end zone at the right time. Else, that could have been uh, almost a blowout for Calgary uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I was impressed with the defense. Aside, of course, from the first play to Mark Eve Ambles for a 71-yard touchdown. But after that, Calgary didn't reach the end zone. And the field seemed to be tilted in, in the Stampeders' favor. At one point, uh, I think uh, Calgary had, I think, of, of the plays that were in the other teams, on the other team's side of mid, midfield, 70%, 60% of those plays were, were run by Calgary. And uh, you look at... Um, yeah, and Rennie, Rennie Parrott has missed a field goal, and that, that helped them. That's not a defensive stop. That's a missed field goal. There was a Luchez Purifoy interception on the five-yard line. There were some field goals uh, that, uh, instead of touchdowns. And that defense put the Rough Riders in a situation where they could win the game with, with some timely plays on offense. It, yeah, the, the scoring is down in the CFL this year, but if, you, if, if your opponent scores 22 points, you should be able to win. The, year, the week before, if your opponent scores 23 points, you should be able to win. The, the defense is giving the Rough Riders offense chances, and those opportunities, by and large, aren't being seized. And that's, that's what's troubling. 
and they're starting to be out there for an awful long time. Like the time mm-hmm. of possession is starting to slide over to the opponents. That's where the riders were owning a lot of the games early on was time of possession and kind of wearing down the opposition. But now it's flipped the script the other way. And, yeah, I, I look at a defense, two bad starts against Calgary. But after those bad starts, you're making the plays to keep you in it and the offense isn't coming down the field and scoring for you. So that's where I, I you hate to go, okay, if there's one side of the ball that's to blame for this, well, you can't score 19 and 17 points and then 8 and 9 against the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and expect to win much. Uh, so the Riders' offense, it's almost to the point where does the Riders' defense need to score a touchdown uh, to help out uh, on the scoring-wise? Because they, they, they score one of those, and it's a maybe they win a game, but you can't rely on that from a defense. But the defense can allow be down 21 nothing collectively in the two games against the Calgary Stampeders either. Uh, so they need to come out faster. But it seems like once they come out and they get their wits about them, Rob, that, that's still a solid defense. They're missing Mike Adam. They have some young guys like uh, Campbell got burnt on that big play, and you know Blaze Brown is still coming along. But uh, I've been really impressed with Lacey and Tights, as you mentioned, Purifoy. I think Ganey and Marshall are still on that side of the ball, the top top of the league when it comes to being able to go up against the best receivers. We got a question. I think it's already been answered, but Rod Fink uh, asked this question. He says, "What do you rate as the biggest letdown of the team so far?" Me, for me, it's the regression of the offensive line. Uh, that to me would be the the biggest letdown. Although. For a letdown, for there to be a letdown, you almost have to have, have expectations that aren't met. And to me, the offensive line was a concern coming into the season, and it's still a concern. So is, it a, is that a letdown or just an obvious deficiency? Yeah, I'm, I haven't been let down by the offensive line, I wouldn't say, um, I, because of what you said. I, I wasn't expecting them to be, you know, bulldozers running over the league and protecting Cody Fajardo because – you know, Evan Johnson came in from Ottawa. He's a local guy, but he wasn't an all-star caliber offensive lineman in Ottawa. He was he was a very serviceable guard for the Ottawa Red Blacks, and that's what he is for the Rough Riders. Dan Clark's an all-star center. I still think he's near the top of his game, uh, but he's he's got Logan Furlan, a raw rookie, right beside him instead of Brendan Labatt there. So how to... Yeah, there's going to be a letdown. You went from Brendan Labatt to Logan Furlan, and Logan's doing his best, and I think he's been pretty good, actually, for his first year with junior football a couple of years ago with the Rough Riders. And you're playing with rookie tackles. Like, Andrew Lauderdale, he's in game five of his CFL career. So, no, if, I, if I'm looking at letdown, I think, sorry to go back to Cody Fajardo, but there was so many. There's the franchise guy. And to see him missing the passes and being, you know, showing that frustration level, I think if there's where the expectations were to where the, they are, the reality is, I think the biggest letdown would, wouldn't have to be the quarterback. Yeah, and I think that's symptomatic of the offensive line and the count around him not being there. I mean, in 2019, they didn't have Brendan Labatt for a lot of the year. It didn't really matter because they had Philip Blake and they had Darius Bladek and they had they had players they could just plug in and and there were, there weren't really that that many concerns of any and now the absence of Brendan Labatt seems to be huge the absence of Taron Vaughn seems to be uh, huge uh, Dakota Dakota Shapley ends up in the National Football League Cyrus Kuanjito I think they had him penciled in at one of the tackle spots he retires early in training camp it was just they weren't in position to withstand some of the adversity they faced on the offensive line, whereas in 2019 they were able to, and because they have the depth that they don't currently possess. Yeah, well, and I, I don't want to jinx anything, but they have been one of the healthier offensive lines in the mm-hmm. league, right? Yeah. And so Dan Clark got dinged up, or whatever you want to say, late in the second quarter, just before the half. They almost had to help him to the bench, and there I was. I was sweating going, well, now what do they do? You're going to put Logan Furlan at center and Josiah St. John comes into the lineup? Like, oh, my goodness. But thankfully, Dan Clark went to the locker room and he came out and he finished the game. But 
they have been a very healthy offensive line outside of, you know, Andrew Lauderdale and Brett Boyko kind of flipping that side. But uh, overall, it's been okay. Um, in 2019, you mentioned all the injuries. Could you imagine if that happened this year? Oh, my goodness. They have nowhere near the depth. They might have to play three Americans on the offensive line if that happened. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Braden Schramm, they had him, too, in 2019. Mm-hmm. He's no longer there. It's just their their depth has been so decimated, and, and, and they haven't had to go as deep as they needed to go in 2019 due to injuries, and that's very fortunate. But that said, what they have up front now isn't doing the job. You mentioned Logan Furland. I rewatched the games, and this is admittedly from an untrained eye. But when I say see offensive linemen uh, letting someone through, it's generally not Logan Furland who's the culprit. It's it's Evan Johnson. It's Dan Clark. Um, it's uh, it's Brett Boyko. Uh, those are the those are the ones that seem to have a tough time against Calgary. And you'll wonder about the extent to which Dan Clark is even healthy. Cody Fajardo mentioned when he scored the touchdown on the quarterback sneak uh, that uh, he was he was going behind Dan Clark. And yeah, Dan's banged up, but he still trusts him. He's still going to go behind him. But it's pretty obvious that Dan Clark isn't isn't a hundred percent. But if you're getting a hundred percent of Dan Clark despite despite the circumstances and what else would you expect from him? No, oh, absolutely. He's an all-star caliber center, and he, man, what a what a rise in his career uh, from kind of like Logan Ferland, right? From junior football mm-hmm. coming in and working with the team, and then getting a few opportunities, being one of the greatest tight end receivers we've ever seen in Rider Nation with two touchdowns in his career, and with a heck of a catch from Tino Sinceri against the BC Lions. Through all of a sudden, he's the starting center for a team that was that close to getting to a Grey Cup in 2019. and uh, But he, he's clearly not 100%. Uh, he's, there's been a few times he's been slow to get up. Uh, but he, as you said, you're always going to get 100% whatever he's got to give to the team. And that's the type of leadership you need in a room. And I think he's, he's showing uh, the way for a guy like Logan Furland on what it takes to be a good pro. And that's, that's only going to help. I, I no, I think I think Logan Furland is heading in the right direction. And remember when Brendan Labatt uh, addressed the media before the season, on he mentions like you guys should be talking about Logan Furland. Like this, this guy's got a future, and I agree with that. But with a great future comes, you know, uh, some learning curves. And I think he's there, but he has been solid. And you said the jailbreaks against Calgary. It was Mike Rose coming up the gut on Dan Clark, and Mike Rose coming up the gut on Evan Johnson. It wasn't. Logan Furlan at all in that game, at least for the most part, uh, that looked like he was really struggling. Jamie, you've got a week uh, with a rider bye week that's not unlike a lot of weeks during COVID when there's no football and you've got four <laughs> hours of airtime to fill. It used to be three, and I find it exceptional that at a time when, even when there was nothing going on in sports, uh, CJME, CKOM were able to go from three hours to four hours a day and hold the audience in as compelling fashion as you have done. Um, how have you done that? Well, it's it's really interesting to, like, I'm trying to go back uh, through what it was, was just you have to be creative. You have to find the right story, and you have to put away, like, the writers almost seemed – like it's a fallback, it's comfortable, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the it's like a, you know, a comfortable chair, you just kind of sit in it and it's there and, you know, whatever. So all of a sudden you get that chair yanked from underneath you and you, okay, now, now what do we do? Now where do we take the audience on this? So um, it, it was creativity, it was, you know, getting star guests um, throughout the whole thing and, because without the riders, you almost got we almost got more room to go further, and it's kind of taught us a lesson, you know, that uh, there is a huge rider fandom out there, but people aren't driving home just thinking about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They're thinking about a lot of different things, and maybe it's not even sports. So uh, I think it's allowed us to to kind of re rethink. Uh, what sports programming and sports radio can be in Saskatchewan and what people are listening for. And really what we found out was they want to be entertained. Like that, that that's like, it's like the football team. If they're not going to be entertained at Mosaic stadium, well, they're going to stop going to Mosaic stadium. If they're not entertained on the radio, they, they're going to find somewhere else to be entertained. So I think it was more 
let's be inter as entertaining and as interesting as possible, whether that's a different topic and finding a different way to, you know, present it or whether it was a big guest and generating conversation. So um, it's COVID was a, it's a, it was a weird time, but it, it, it helped me kind of and producer Alex and Drew and the program directors and everything else kind of rethink, oh, hold on. There's still that, we still got game day. We're still doing the riders when they come back, but there are different ways to present and different ways to entertain other than just talking about the green and white. Yeah, you're right. It's an easy default. And uh, I found during COVID, uh, despite, I mean, obviously you lament the circumstances and it's tragic what's happened to people. And we're still dealing with the neighbor, neighborhood of 500 cases a day. And we're nowhere near being out of this with another winter coming. But there had to be some ingenuity that was exercised. I've done some of the, my favorite stories ever during the uh, pandemic period because there's a blank canvas and there's not that fallback. And you know, last year I had a chance to – I decided to talk to – do stories on big names who played at Taylor Field but weren't Rough Riders. Mm -hmm. And you'll like this as an Oakland Raiders fan but or Las Vegas or whatever they are this week. Uh, I had a great chat with Freddie Bolitnikoff about the one game he played at Taylor Field. I talked to Warren Moon about what it was like to play at Taylor Field. I talked to uh, to, to Jim Marshall and Bob Tuchek. Jim Marshall went on to become an NFL star with the Minnesota Vikings. They were traded for one another in an interleague trade. Bob Tuchek was with the, with the Rough Riders. Jim Marshall's NFL rights belonged to the Cleveland Browns. The Riders traded the Riders traded Jim Marshall to the Cleveland Browns for Bob Toshuk, who had him playing quarterback, mm -hmm. linebacker, and defensive back front. And it was because there was just absolute nothing. And I find this week during the bye week, during bye weeks in past years, or even the one earlier this year, I felt like, okay, I've got to invent rider stuff throughout the week to feed the beast. And this week with the Rough Riders being on a bye, I'm going to write some rider stuff. But this is also an opportunity to tell some stories that aren't rider-reliant that I think are really compelling, whether it's junior hockey, high school, uh, University of Regina Rams. There's some there's some beautiful stories out there, yeah. uh, and some really cool stories out there. If you give yourself the time and you have the inclination to go and find them and tell them. Yeah, it was. It was in previous. It was all. It felt like the it was ninety ten ninety percent riders, ten percent everything else. And um, there's so many other stories uh, out there. Um, you know, we we started a little like Sasky shout out stuff where we were talking to young athletes who are up and coming doing some amazing things whether it be uh, sport climbing or you know uh, bobsleigh or different sports like that who were just you found some a little more space for it and found out the audience was really receptive to it right like getting texts on suggestions on who the next ask each shout out should be on the green zone you should talk to this person or this person this person or you know the brackets we we did during the pandemic, which was, was just <laughs> silliness, but it was entertaining, right? Yeah. Uh, so for uh, a radio show from two to six, which is, you know, a lot of people driving home, it was, oh, no, they, they don't want to be pounded all the time with uh, necessarily debate and fervor over who's going to win and who's going to lose. They, they kind of want to wind down and laugh a little bit. So it was almost... Okay, how do we do sports with a lot more fun rather than have the typical, um, lack for a better phrase, mano a mano? Like our face-offs used to be uber sports related, right? Like me and Drew would fight over, you know, who's going to win or who's going to lose. And now we fight over turkey dinner and we get hundreds <laughs> of texts. Like it's crazy. We talk, we talk about the riders who should be, if we did who should be the M MOP, we get, 20 texts. We talk about something that everybody's thinking about in the time or it's a movie or food or something that it's like we get hundreds of texts. So it's just, we go, okay, you know, there's still, there's people interested in the riders, but I think uh, a lot more people are entertained by real life stuff. Do you find, Jamie, that this is perhaps maybe a bit of a, an alarm bell as far as the rough riders are concerned? Usually when the team has a stretch like they have right now, my, I can spend all day answering emails and I can spend all day responding to tweets. I found there's very little email or Twitter traffic regarding the state of the team right now. And I also find that I don't feel as compelled to write things all week during the bye week addressing what's wrong with the Rough Riders. 
and I don't sense that there's the same clamor for it that there would have been a few years ago. And yeah, you can look at the attendances and, and attribute some of it to COVID, but um, and perhaps all of it to COVID. But do the Rough Riders have the same space in the market? And do they have occupied the same mind space that they may have two, three, five, ten years ago? I wonder if there's a bit of a, I don't know if stagnation is a s- strong word, but it's certain, there's certainly been a, I just don't see the sense that there's the same buzz. Even when they were 3-0, and oh, I didn't sense that there was the same buzz. I think and, we have, and we went without football last year. I thought it would be a real vibrant discussion this year. Too. Yeah, uh, it was interesting during the, the pandemic and we're still in it, but when they weren't there, it was I, – I started to get a little more feeling that it wasn't like people were like, oh, my God, I miss the riders. I miss being at Mosaic Stadium so much. But it was, oh, I'm spending a little more time thinking about this. It was just almost like that amount of room you left for the riders just got replaced by something. And now I think mm-hmm. it's up to the riders to get back that space. And I think they were there early in the season when they were 3-0. and I think there was some hype and some excitement, and they lost to Winnipeg, and there was that. But – you know, also, the CFL hasn't been that entertaining. You know, you turn on a game and it, okay, there's been some great finishes, but what's the first 50 minutes? It's like, yeah, they missed a field goal. It hasn't been crisp and clean and exciting and, wow, I need to be watching this. Now it feels like basketball where you can turn on the last five, five minutes and be entertained for a bit and then go amongst your day. So I think uh, a lot of fans missed it, but I think they thought they'd miss it more than they actually did. So I think it's going to take a year and maybe into next year to really generate that excitement again as people are just kind of getting used to it being back and are kind of go they're kind of more of the casual fans now. But I'll tell you on the post game show on Saturday there's a lot there's a lot of passionate fans who were not very happy with the football team and they were blaming everybody. In fact, they wanted Stephen McAdoo back, which I couldn't believe. I never, thought I'd, I never thought I'd hear <laughs> that in my life, that people were like, you know what, we should bring Stephen McAdoo back as the offensive coordinator. And bring Zach Claros back as a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Reggie Slack when you need him, right, Rob? Oh, exactly. Uh, there was – that's uh, you were too young to actually have covered the team back then, but it was sure uh, – uh, rather colorful back then in terms of just the, the things that would happen to that football team. You know, the uh, this year the riders are sliding, but there really hasn't been a lot of – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, aside from the Cody Fajardo post-game uh, co- uh, media conference out, uh, for Calgary, I don't sense that there's been a lot of accompanying storylines. There hasn't been the same, I think, color off the field. There hasn't been the same – um, there's been no real uh, extracurricular stuff that, that yep. makes a season interesting. It seemed to me when the Riders would lose some seasons, not only would they lose, and they're still a winning team, but when they would hit the skids, not only would they hit the skids, but there would be this going wrong and this player uh, dealing with this situation. It's just been strictly football-related this year, which is good for the organization, but uh, it's it's there's not the tumult that you might expect uh, that you might have gotten, say, when Reggie Slack doesn't get on a, a plane to Hamilton, or or uh, a player gets gets arrested for this and that. It's it's a different type of skid that this team has hit. Well, even in 2013, when they won the Grey Cup, that four game skid hit right at the same time as you know the Taj Smith, the White Anderson, uh, Aaron Riley situation, which was and it just seemed to go. And then the Darian Durant tweet to the fan that he got fined for. There was that intrigue in there and I think uh, that's uh, not that saying oh they need to be a lot more dramatic off the field to keep (laughs) fans engaged but uh, it's been interesting over the years where you see those types of off-field things or Chris Jones getting fined and uh, was there a fight on the field at practice with Deron Carter and all this stuff that we've seen over the time Um, it has been a pretty pretty even keeled season for the Rough Riders and their five and four record is pretty indicative of that yeah we're not getting the sideshows which is which is uh great for them uh i don't think they want any but uh sometimes it seems when when it rains it pours for a team that's struggling right now it's strictly raining and uh i guess that's a that's a positive i mean i think it's i think it's somewhat salvageable uh you've you've got 
Duke Williams coming in. You've got Shaq Evans coming in. Players have got a week to deal with being banged up. And there's really not a lot of teams that are, except perhaps for Winnipeg, that you're going to look at and say they're invulnerable. Yeah, the Riders have some flaws, but there's a lot of flawed football teams in this league. So uh, I don't think they're unique in that regard. So the opportunity is there for them. They're still in second place. Yep. And they still have a home playoff game that the, the, they control that destiny. But they're going to have to shore up a litany of things such as those we've referenced in order for that to happen. Again, uh, going to Calgary, we said it two weeks ago, a uh, big game uh, to, to win that one because it puts them some space in. They lose to Calgary, and all of a sudden it's who knows what happens with Calgary and BC this week. gets pretty interesting. Jamie, it's been absolutely interesting to have you with us. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. I know I've uh, I asked you for a half hour and have simply blown that out of the water. I do apologize for the. Uh, I hope uh, I hope I haven't uh, interrupted your preparation for what should be another entertaining green zone today. So, no. Uh, how's candy? Candy made it all the way through. Hey, eh? where's the candy update? Let's see. Can you see her? Same, same, same spot as we left her. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I might have to check her pulse. <laughs> Um, I just got to do the uh, usual outro that I'm told. I have to um, say this at the end of every podcast or I will be shot. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. We deserve a six-star rating because we have Jamie this week. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email uh, that's why I'm not in broadcasting, Jamie. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstone@postmedia.com, and we'll read it on the show. You can follow me, uh, Rob, on Twitter at, at, at Rob Vanstone or the, in, in absentia, Murray McCormick at, at Murray LP. Jamie, where can they find you on Twitter? Where can they find you on the air, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, 980CJME and 650CKMM on your radio, AM dial, and, of course, at Jamie Nye on Twitter. Awesome. Jamie, thank you so much for doing this. I look forward to seeing you down the road. And uh, uh, it'll be a long time further than their home game, but I hope our paths cross before then. So <laughs> thanks for doing right this. On. And uh, hope all is well with you and, and not necessarily with the Raiders. Thank you very much, Rob. Have a good one. You too, Jamie. Thanks a ton.